The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So I want to get into the Word this morning. As we get into the Word this morning, there's a few things that we're going to find. I want to share these things with you. Again, I want to, to get into the Word with that understanding that God is equipping us to, to remain where He's called us to be in the midst of His kingdom, standing upon His Word. I want us to be equipped to do the things that He's called us to do. And as we pursue the Word this morning, I hope that it assists us in doing just that. Here's a few things we're going to find as we get into the Word. Uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. There's one thing we're going to find that what all Christians need in order to fight back. What all Christians need in order to fight back. And, and contrary to some beliefs, it's not a truckload of ammunition. What all Christians need in order to fight back. Although, if you have a truckload of ammunition, I would hang on to it. What all Christians need in order to fight back. A second thing that we're going to find is what every Christian needs to do to be free. I mean, freedom is at stake. When you saw the image of that one man standing when everyone else was kneeling, that's what's at stake. Freedom, liberty, the freedom to follow after God and not follow after men. A third thing that we're going to find is what, how clear minds need to think. Now, that sounds a little bit goofy, but go ahead and just, you can jot it down like that. When, it gets, when we get to that point, I think you'll understand. You know, sometimes I, I sit and I try to think of, of maybe kind of a catchy way to say it, and, and sometimes it just doesn't really work. But when we get here, we're going to find a few things that clear minds need to be thinking. So I want to get right into it. I mentioned before one of the first things we're going to find is what Christians need in order to fight back. I want to get into the Word and find that. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to begin reading in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Uh, you, you see that uh, Paul is writing, and he says this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I mean, that's the call that we have, to be strong in the Lord, no matter what the political climate, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how many people are bowing down all around us, our call is to be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that, now did you hear that? So that? So that is now going to reveal what we can accomplish when we uh, fulfill that call to put on God's armor. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want to pause right there. I want to ask a question. We're going to come back and continue to read, but how many of you feel that there is a scheme of the devil at work today? I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind that there is a deception that is being released, that it is, is being propped up by a series of lies that continue to be spun over and over and over again. That this scheme of the devil is for the destruction of the, the church. 
The scheme of the devil is for the destruction of freedom and liberty. The scheme of the devil is to take things that God has called us to and throw stumbling block upon stumbling block before them. So Paul's writing, he's calling us to be strong, and he's telling us to put on the armor of God so that we're able to stand firm against the devil's schemes. Now in verse 12, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It means our problems aren't with people. I mean, the people marching in the streets, the people throwing bricks, the people that are are carrying around rifles and shooting themselves. I don't know if you read that article, but it's in there. There's all kinds of of things going on that are are people-oriented, but it's not the people that are the problem. Based on the scripture, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness in this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, let me just say that in, in more simple terms. Our problems are not people, rather the spirit that's driving the people. I mean, if you and I are, are praying and, and we're, we're moving, we actually need to be praying for the people that are doing these things. God, please uh, bless that person. Let them come to know the truth. Show them Jesus. Open their eyes. Set them free from this deception. Then go to work against the Spirit. I bind the spirit of deception over this nation in the mighty name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, deception, I command you to loose your grip over the citizens of the United States of America. That's kind of how it sounds and how it works. Paul goes on to write in verse 13, Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Once again, you see these two words, so that. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. I love that verse. I want to tell you a couple of things that I love about that verse. One, standing firm. Standing firm means not losing ground. Not losing ground. We've not been called to strike a compromise. We have been called to stand our ground as believers. As a liberal agenda sweeps into the church, attempting to to persuade the hearts and the minds of Christians to compromise, we have a call to hold our ground, to stand. And another portion of this passage, that, that the equipping of the armor of God in our lives is so that we will be able to resist in the day of evil. I love the idea that I have a call to resist. That this is not a wave that is going to wash over me and sweep me away and sweep the church away with everyone else. But we are called to hold our position and resist. I have an urgency in me to resist, but it must be done according to God's plan and his will. It must be done the way he would call us to do it. And then the idea that the armor of God is present in my life and in your life so that we'll be able to resist, so that we'll be able to stand, it tells me something. I need to pay attention to what this armor is or else I am completely vulnerable to that which is sweeping across this land. Without that, I'm not even able to resist. No matter how often I go to church, no matter what CD is in my car that I listen to all the time, no matter what my radio station's tuned to, no matter how many prayer meetings I go to, if the things that Paul is writing about are not an active part of who I am, 
I'm unable to resist and I'm unable to stand firm. When I'm seeing Christians being swept away by what's going on politically, I want to see them have their armor released to them and embraced by them. I want to see them put on the armor of God so that they can stand firm. And I want to talk about what those things are. Paul continues to write here as you get to verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, with which, with, excuse me, with which you are able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the, the evil one and take the helmet of salvation in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every single one of those pieces is a necessary part of the believer's life to be equipped to not be swept away by the garbage that's going on right now. And he's describing it as armor and animating it in such a way that it can be understood and seen. I want to talk about these things and I want to go through them one by one over the next couple of weeks. Today I want to talk about that first piece, the, the girding of loins with truth. Now I got to tell you, even though I, I'm now older and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s, I, I don't know that I have the maturity to not giggle when I hear the word loins. And I see some of you cracking a smile. But there's something about this passage that I want us to understand. Some, some passages of Scripture just refer to uh, this as the belt of truth. And, you know, that would be okay because uh, I think it's understood that a belt is pretty central to, to all of your equipment. And if you were to lose your belt, everything could just fall apart and it wouldn't work. A belt is a pretty foundational piece of, of your attire. But I love the fact that it says gird your loins with truth because actually the girding of loins is throughout the scripture. And it has a couple of connotations. One is this, this mustering of strength or courage, this call to, to actually step up, suck it up, so to speak. I mean, if you were using the Preston translation. But then there's also this, this reality of what it is. And you have to consider how people dressed. And you know what? I was this close to wearing my bathrobe here today so that I could show you. Now, obviously, you wouldn't have, you know, seen too much of me, which is easy to do. You, you would have seen what it means, the, the robe, it, it's long. And if you're in a position where you've got to defend yourself or you've got to uh, be on the offensive, you can't move. So what they would do is they would take the robe and they would, would pull, pull it up, pull it through, around and tie and it would look like this kind of diaper but you would be equipped then to move you could move you could run I kind of have this thing today where, where I kind of blow out the back of all of my jeans because they just don't cut them like they used to either that or I'm just not shaped like I used to be I like to think that it's the former not the latter they really don't cut them like they used to yeah, they're, they're women's jeans. I mean, they are. They're making men's jeans shaped like women's jeans, and it's horrible. It's part of this political agenda to undo America. I remember once I, I had to do something on our roof. We were living in Oklahoma, and I, I climbed up on the roof, and I took care of what I needed to fix. And I was wearing a pair of these women's jeans. 
And as I moved to the edge of the roof to get down, I realized I, I can't get down. I can't, bend my, I can't bend my leg to get to the ladder. It's like a straitjacket for your legs. And I stood up there. I mean, I, I couldn't even stand up. I, I laid on the roof, and, you know, the shingles get hot, and you're just thinking, my God, I'm going to die up here. So I start pounding on the roof, hoping that my wife will hear and come out. Well, she never came out. In fact, she was inside thinking, man, he's still working up there. Yeah. Yeah. And so then after, after all of this time of pounding, when I realized she's not coming out, I'm thinking, the neighbors are about to see a whole lot of me because I'm going to have to take my pants off to get off the roof. It ended up working out. I'll spare you the other details. But the point is, this is a, a call to mobility. I mean, it's, it's a mobilization. And, and, and what, what we're being told is that this thing that keeps us from just being bogged down and unable to respond to whatever attack comes our way is the truth. If we don't carry the truth, we're unable to, to uh, move. We're unable to, to respond. We're unable to counter anything that comes our way. If we don't have the truth, we're gone washed away. As soon as the mainstream media says this is how it is, you're swept away right along with it. The only thing that kept that man standing when everyone else was kneeling was the truth. That he knew, I'm a Christian. I can't do this. I can't support what they stand for. Fire me. Throw rocks at me. Slander me. Troll me on social media. Do what you will, but I can't do that. The power of the truth. I want to talk about uh, truth here. We've got to clothe ourselves in truth. If it's part of God's armor that helps us to resist, that equips us to resist, if there's no resistance outside of it, and it starts with truth, then let's all start with truth. Introduce that into your prayer life. Father, clothe me in truth. Let me put on your armor today. Let truth be in my heart let it be in my mind. Let it flow from my mouth. Let it be revealed in my actions. Let the truth prevail in every aspect of my living. So I want to get through the, the message here. And it's, it's, you know, what is the truth? Well, what is the truth is really not the right question. The question really is, who is the truth? I'll give you a passage of scripture here. John 14, verse 6. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When we realize now that it's truth that keeps us from being swept away, that it's truth that mobilizes us so that we can actually resist what's going on, we need to realize that that means Jesus. Jesus. I want to share with you what I, I, I call it the, the good versus evil trap. Because I think it's a trap. I mean, if it doesn't translate or it doesn't communicate, I won't spend too much time on it. Just hang in there with me and we'll move on and get back to the point. But you'll hear a lot of people today look at what's going on and evaluate it as good versus evil. Well, I think that's a dangerous thing to do, and I'll tell you why. Let me give you a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Uh, the word reads like this, woe to those, now we don't say woe, 
you know. It just means like it's trouble, it's bad news, it's not a good thing. It's trouble for those to call evil good and good evil. It's trouble to substitute darkness for light or light for darkness. It's trouble to substitute bitter for sweet or sweet for bitter. It's trouble to do those things. Now, here's why I think this is a bit of a trap. Because what's good to one person could be evil to another. I mean, right now, everyone in the, the, the BLM movement, they all think they're doing good. I mean, Jesus talked to his disciples and said, hey, people are going to come after you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to lock you up. They're going to put you in chains. They're going to kill you. And they're going to think they're doing the will of God. They thought they were doing good. So here's what I, I understand. This is why I say it's kind of a trap. It, it, it's a trap to, to make your choices and decisions based on good and evil because good and evil are relative. I mean, you could totally think you're, and, and how many times have I had to tell my wife, well, I, I thought I was doing it right. I, I meant well. My intentions were good, but the intentions didn't matter if it produced hurt or, or disappointment or if it dishonored a previous request or commitment. I mean, good and evil are these, these things that if we measure uh, our decisions and our, our, our thoughts and all those things by those things, we can set ourselves up for error or failure. Now, there is a safe way to never fall into this trap. And it's not to put things on the scale of good or evil, but to put things on the scale of truth or lie. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. And I think it's important that we understand this. Ha have you ever thought, you know, I mean, of all of the things that, that God is and all of the, the names that he's revealed and declared himself, that he's pretty intentional about that? I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is by name. John 16, 13 speaks of the Holy Spirit. And says, when the Holy Spirit comes, when He comes, that is the Spirit of truth, He'll guide you into all truth. So the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of truth. Notice that He's not called just the Spirit of good. Now I'll give you another passage of Scripture, John 8, verse 44. Now this is not speaking of the Holy Spirit, rather it's speaking of Satan. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him, whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie, for he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now, those two passages of Scripture, I, I put them side by side for this reason. I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't go out of its way to communicate to us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of good, and that Satan is the spirit of evil. It's not good versus evil but rather it's truth versus lie. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. Everything that he speaks according to this passage is not of his own initiative, but he brings the word of God, which is the sanctifying truth. Satan, every word he speaks is a lie. He's the father of lies, and there is no and no is absolute. It doesn't say there's not much. It says there's no truth in him. He does not stand in the truth. So I like to protect myself from the good versus evil trap by living my life measuring things in truth or lie. And I look at the man that stood, that stood his ground, that held firm, that is equipped with the armor of God when everyone around him bowed down and he stood firm. I look at this man and I think, this guy isn't measuring whether or not Black Lives Matter is good or bad, but he's measuring it by is what they stand for, the truth of God or a lie of the devil. 
and he made his decision wisely. When we measure things in good versus evil, we're susceptible to everyone's argument that, that what they're doing is, is okay, that it's righteous, that it helps people, that, that people will benefit from it. That does not mean that it's the will of God. But when we measure things in truth versus lie, we can never fail. It is, it is unflinching. It's not subject to what is relative or to opinion. But rather the truth is the truth. And everything that's not the truth is a lie. I have to ask myself, when I see that the devil is a liar, that everything he says is a lie, I have to ask myself, why, why all of these lies? Why would he be released into the earth? And what is he doing? And why these lies? I mean, his agenda is to bring destruction, death, division. I mean, the scripture would speak of, of stealing and killing and destroying and things like that. To lie, to violate the truth, to lead people away from truth and to lead them into a lie is to put them in captivity. Today, our freedom is at stake. That's nothing new. As far as lies versus truth is concerned, freedom is always at stake. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. And I want to give you this headline for it. The truth is necessary for Christians to be free. John chapter 8, I want to begin reading in verse 31. And we'll look through verse 36. I want to set this up with this first passage. Because I want you to understand who Jesus is speaking to. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, you can, get, you can see the, the point, the point being truth and freedom. But I want you to catch what he says there at the first, or what's recorded in the beginning. Jesus was talking to those Jews who had believed in him. He's talking to believers. Now, this isn't something that he's just saying to bring in, you know, converts or something like that. Hey, are you tired of being strung out on dope? Or are you tired of that addiction? Hey, come to Jesus. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But he's talking to people who already believe. He's talking to that guy that refused to kneel. He's talking to me and he's talking to everyone who's sitting in here. He's saying there's a need, a need to continue in his word. That in doing so, we will truly be disciples of his, and we will know the truth, we'll be intimately acquainted with the truth, and that truth will lead to freedom. Now, when the people that he was speaking to heard this, those who believed in him, they took issue with it. And they said, hey, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? And Jesus speaks to them and says, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son does. And if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. The reason for all of these lies, the reason for all of the attempts to get you to bend your knee to that which is not of God is to bring you into sin. Because sin is bondage. It leads to slavery. Every single one of those men who didn't even know what they were doing, who bent their knee to that movement, is now in bondage to that movement. 
And there are plenty of people that would love to throw rocks at me for saying that, to say, how dare you say that? That's so stupid. You're, you're such a dumb Christian. I've heard that plenty in my life. But I assure you that one who stood is in no bondage at all to that movement. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that means a great deal to me. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Begins by saying, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we have no truth in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think it's interesting to think that if we don't need Jesus, then we deceive ourselves. I want you to consider that passage of Scripture from that perspective. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have no need for forgiveness, if we say we have no need for redemption, if we say we have no need for a, a Messiah, we have no need for a Savior, if we say that we don't need Jesus... then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But consider the opposite of that. To declare a desperate and urgent need for Jesus. To make the statement that Jesus is necessary. To make the declaration and to live your life by that creed is to walk in the truth. And then this second passage of, of confession, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he's righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. I see the power of truth, the willingness to not cover up and lie, but to uncover and reveal, expose, that leading to a purification and a cleansing. It's really what truth does and it's why truth is under attack. If you think for a moment that truth is under attack in our country today uh, because of skin color or something like that, I I'm concerned that we've missed the point. Truth is under attack because of what truth does. Here's what truth does. I'll give you this for your notes there, and I'd like for you to read it, whether it's today or in your own time. But you've heard me talk about a chapter before, John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. Before the crucifixion, after ministering for years, knowing full well that he's going to the cross, he prays and he prays for you. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, he asks for something. He asks God to do something great. And I've got good news for you. God said yes. He asks God to sanctify us in truth. And then he declares what that is. He says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctify is not really a word that we use every day, so let me just give you kind of a, a rough outline of what it means. It means to, to be set apart, to be made different, to be made holy. I mean, when you were pulled out of sin and corruption and you were brought into the kingdom of God, you were sanctified into the kingdom of God. So it's the truth, it's what God speaks that's going to separate us and set us apart from what's going on in the world today. Without that sanctification, we blend right in. And I want to tell you this, and I, 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 the, the pun is kind of intended here. I want to tell you where the issue lies. 
And I, you could say lies as in like where the issue is, but I decided to say where the issue lies because we're dealing with truth versus lies. Where the issue lies here, I'll give you a passage of scripture. I told you before we're going to find out uh, how clear minds need to think. We're going to find that in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Now, if you're reading a, a King James Version, which is a very accurate translation, here, here's how it's going to read. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Did you hear that? Gird up the loins of your mind. I mean, what a funny thing to say. The loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. It goes on to, to speak about uh, where this passage is going. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and always hope to the very end for the grace that is brought upon you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Never stop hoping for that grace. Never stop trusting in that grace. Never stop Trusting in Jesus. But I thought it was interesting that the, the girding up of the loins of your mind would be the wording there. If you have a, a different translation, a New American Standard, you won't see gird up the loins of your mind, but rather you'll, you'll see this. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. So remember earlier when we were talking about the armor of God, that our loins are girded with truth. And, and I told you about the illustration where it was about, you know, getting your robe out of the way so that you could be mobile, so that you could move, so that you could defend yourself, and so that you could be on the offensive. We see that we have a call to do this up here. In our mind, when I say we're going to find where the issue lies, I think it's revealed right there. It's in our mind. It's in our thinking. We spoke uh, even just last week on, on what we take in and, and what we are considering, what we take in through the eyes and the ears and its effects on how we think. But we have a call to gird up the loins of our mind or prepare our mind for action, to be sober and to always hope for everything that is Jesus to come to, come to pass in us and through us. That idea of preparing your mind for action is something that I want to focus on here in these closing moments. I want you to consider this, that this entire message is about being prepared to resist what's going on, to not be swept away. This putting on of the armor of God so that we can resist in the day of evil. And then this call in the end to prepare your mind for action. Do you realize preparation means it, it, it takes place before? You don't prepare something during, you, you prepare it before. If you wait until you're in the midst of combat to prepare, you're going to have a real uphill battle. But for us, here and now, we need to get into the Word, we need to be in our prayer closets asking God to sharpen our mind to deal with the things that are rampant in this country. Father, will you prepare my mind to deal with these current situations? So that when they come and attempt to sweep me away, I can stand firm.
Let preparation take place in my mind and my heart. Reveal to me in your word by your spirit all the things that I need to be equipped with in order to resist in the day of evil. This call for preparation, and then what you're preparing for. Prepare for action. Prepare your mind for action. It's an interesting call to think that we, we are anointed and equipped to respond to the things that are going on, that we're not just simply meant to kind of wait it out. Hey, just hang in there. Jesus is coming back soon. Just hold on, buddy. You'll make it. But rather, we're being prepared to act. I watched this man as he stood there. His mind and his heart was prepared. He didn't decide to do that in the moment. He knew going into that that he could not support you don't see him standing there Googling Black Lives Matter and reading through their About Us page and then making his decision. Rather, he knew when all others kneel, I can't. And then he acted. He didn't realize it and say, well, I'll kneel because I don't want to, you know, make waves and, and, you know, I think I'd be a better witness if I didn't, you know, people just don't understand. But rather, he was prepared and he acted. Every single one of us is called to be the same. Prepared in our minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. What do we gird the loins with? Truth. The truth. That call to be sober. Not to be drunk with the lies that are are pouring into our homes through television, through radio. But to be sober. Sober by the truth. The lies that are being spewed out across this nation are intoxicating. You'll see people who are intelligent people behaving foolishly because they're drunk on the lies that are being poured out. And we have a call to prepare our minds for action and to remain sober all through the truth. So I want to give you a few things that sober minds think. And um, these are just a few thoughts, and I put these in here on purpose they're a little bit pointed, but, but there's other things in the scripture, obviously, that sober minds think. But these are just a few things that I want to close with. I'll give you a passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Sober minds need to know that God always has a plan. Sober minds need to know that God always has a plan. Sober minds think that way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 speaks of, of being tempted. Whether you're tempted to go with the flow, whether you're tempted to preserve yourself by kneeling and, and avoid all of the, the slander that's to come when you stand your ground as you're called to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it reads like this. No temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. And God is faithful. That's what a sober mind will always think. God is faithful and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. But with your temptation, God will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That's a sober thought. I'm never swept away by what's going on around me. But God is always, always providing. Always making a way. Here's another passage of scripture. Just It's food for thought for the sober mind. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. You're never without power. 
Jesus says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on the serpents and the scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. You've got to understand something. He's not talking about stepping on snakes and bugs. He's talking about dealing with the principalities, the powers, the rulers, the, the, the evil on the earth and the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He's talking about all of those things that we wrestle against, that we are equipped with the armor of God to resist. And that His authority and that His power has been bestowed upon us to deal with those things. And then here's one that I think every sober mind, every mind that is being prepared to take action, every mind that has had the, the loins of the mind girded up, prepared and ready to go to work for Jesus, needs to always remember. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God and you have overcome because greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. I have to think while that man stood there by himself and while everyone else knelt, thoughts like that had to be going through his mind. An intentional pursuit of sobriety to not be drunken by the lies, the deceptions, and the threats that exist in our world today. But the intentional thoughts that God's with me, He won't leave me, He won't forsake me. That He's greater than this spirit of deception that's waging war in our nation. That he's equipped me to do something about this. Given me the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost. And that he's always making a way. Whenever I'm tempted to compromise, he'll show me the solution. You want to know how life could improve just by applying that one idea? When faced with temptation, pausing and asking God, Hey God, I'm tempted right now. What's the way out? Will you show me the way out? This sober thinking, this, this effect of, of God's uh, spirit in our minds prepares us to take action. I want to close with that. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something for us this morning. I want to talk about the other pieces of that armor because I believe that if we are not equipped with everything that God is equipping us with, we're in danger of being swept away. If God lists those things and calls those things to be an active part of our life so that we can stand, so that we can resist, then I want those things in my life. I want those things in your life. And based on what we've read today, this morning, it begins with truth. I want to pray and I want to ask God to stir truth in our lives in every way imaginable. And I want to trust and believe that our prayer life can be affected, that our pursuit of the word can be affected, that our attitudes can be transformed. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement with me or just in a state of receiving. But I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've called us and equipped us and you've made everything available for us to stand, to not be swept away and intoxicated by the lies and deceptions that are flowing through this country. We see truth as the solution to this problem. We see Jesus as the truth. And I ask now for me and for all of those present, 
in accordance with the prayer of our King, will you sanctify us in truth? Your word is the truth. Wash over our hearts and our minds. Let there be an effect in our appetites, the things that we would entertain ourselves with, the things that we would put into our lives. If it's not the truth, then let it pass away as a waste. Let us embrace all that is life, all that is truth, all that is Jesus. Let our minds be prepared for action that we would not even have to to debate about how we will respond when we are, are put in the position to stand firm. But let it be understood that Jesus is King, that what He says will rule and reign over our thoughts, over our words, and over our actions. Let every one of our responses bring You honor and glory. And let us support one another as we stand together united by Your Spirit, holding fast to what is true, standing firm, refusing to be washed away, and let us resist righteously. I ask in Jesus' name for there to be a release of the truth in new and greater measures into each one of our lives. Let truth be sought after. Let it be prioritized. Let it be cherished and embraced. Let it be seen as the sanctifying factor in our lives, that which sets us apart from everyone else. Let it not puff up or lead to arrogance, but let it be the catalyst for compassion and grace to flow from our lives, bringing healing and solution to our world's many problems. We bless your name and we thank you, and we ask that as we walk sanctified in truth, that your kingdom be expanded, that your name be glorified, that Jesus be exalted. We bless your name and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.